audio conversation with Colin Andrews recorded Sunday, October 27th, 2013. Hey, I'm holding in my hands right here a book on the edge of reality written by Colin Andrews and his wife, Cynthia Andrews. Uh, I just, I haven't actually read the entirety of it. I read some very key points. I read most of it, I think. Uh, now, I had met Colin briefly. Well, actually, not briefly. We sat down and had a wonderful talk together. This would have been in the in the February of 2012. This was at a UFO conference in uh, outside of uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, the Open Minds Conference. We sat and talked. I shared some stories. Uh, I actually wanted to get him aside and, and tell him a few stories because I was most curious what his take on them would be. Uh, and, and during this... Uh, there was a very funny incident that happened with Stephen Greer. We talk about it at the uh, at the end briefly. I'll direct you to the show notes to hear that story in its entirety. I, I wrote about it in a blog post. It involves me, Colin Andrews, Stephen Greer, and a mosquito. And this mosquito made me absolutely mute. I was incapable of speaking. And now, for anyone who has not heard of Colin Andrews, he is a UK researcher. He spent the last 30 years mostly focused on the crop circle uh, events that were occurring throughout the world, but more specifically in, in southern England. And he is the person who actually coined the term crop circle. Now, not unlike other interviews, uh, we did not have enough time to really dig into stuff. It felt like we were just barely scratching the surface of what um, of what was there to talk about. And and I also made an effort to share one story that involves a giant triangle. This was a story of my own, and I brought it up specifically because I had seen a uh, presentation that he did at that conference in 2012. The culmination of the entire presentation was a series of PowerPoint images of giant triangles uh, across the crop circle terrain of southern England. Uh, that very much tapped into my own experience with my giant triangle on a map experience, and that's exactly the reason I chose to uh, to tell it and get his feedback. It's very, very interesting. Now, after you listen to this this interview in its entirety, near the end, there's a little bit of extra stuff tacked on. So, uh, you know, just uh, just be ready for that. This uh, spoken interview is just a little bit over one and a half hours long. Please enjoy. Colin, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Uh, It's my pleasure, Mike. It was good to meet you initially, and I've been looking forward to the follow-up. Good, and so have I, and so have I. I'm I'm holding uh, in my hand your latest book, On the Edge of Reality, uh, which you wrote with your wife, Cynthia, and... um, I have it's kind of dog-eared at this point. I went through with a highlighter, and so there's all kinds of yellow highlighter and all kinds of sticky notes and penciled stuff in the margins. But what I did notice, the very first word, excuse me, the very first sentence in the introduction, uh, you wrote, I believe we are engaged in a process of integration with a higher mind. Um, yeah. And that, uh, in essence, you know, sets the framework for, for the entirety of this of this this rather dense book um yeah so just uh i mean that's a very bold statement can you just fill me in on what what you mean by that well uh how we kind of came to um, use the terminology i guess to be that brazing about it at the start of the book was that this has been this research um, path that i've now been on for the last uh, three decades has been a long road, and uh, you know it started with the basic 
gathering of data, which, you know, any engineer like me and scientist does. You look at something which is a mystery to you, and uh, you, you gather the data. You look for correlations. You, you try and figure out what's, what's happening. And it was all, uh, you know, exciting in the sense we didn't know what it was for uh, a number of years. That is the crop circle phenomenon. Um, we had a number, uh, I personally had some paranormal kind of experiences and the small team that I was a part of also, you know, scientists and engineers, we had a meteorologist and Pat Delgado just come away from the Mariner project for NASA um, and a pilot working with us. Uh, we began in turn to have uh, very strange experiences and experiences that, uh, you know, couldn't be denied, denied that, that whatever was happening, and we can go through detail in the program, um, there was a mind behind it. There was an intelligence behind it. Something knew what we were doing. And, you know, it, it, as the research progressed and uh, basically encouraged me to go much more laterally outside of this particular mystery and into others too, uh, the perceived connection with the UFO, for example, was very um, predominant in that list of other subjects. Um, I, you know, I, unbeknown to the public in general, I, I was attending meetings with the Minister of Defence in London um, on that subject and uh, meeting, you know, very privileged to be meeting people on the inside and on the outside of government uh, researching that subject too. And the common denominator as the, the, the research spread itself even wider was intelligence and consciousness. And so... It, it really, truly, the starting sentence is a very true and um, not only compelling, of course, but a very meaningful and heartfelt statement that we are integrating uh, to another place uh, with another mind. And so that's where that came from. That's what I mean by it. And when you say we, um, I, I, it, it certainly comes across as all of humanity would be integrating where, you know, your initial experience was just a bunch of folks, um, you know, with uh, some, some uh, you know, walking into fields with cameras and some technical yeah. equipment that were initially uh, uh, being integrated. But your sense is that it's not just uh, a bunch of uh, no. cropsicle researchers. No, it's much much wider. Uh, the, the, the crop circle subject seems to have been a, a platform created to analyze this process because we were able to see a new subject which came out of nowhere, basically. Uh, we had a starting point and uh, I believe an ending point. And in that whole process of human beings researching, then intelligence community, in, you know, infiltrating, um, a whole gambit of things that happened within that subject it became a mirror to uh, see other other subjects. In fact, all subjects, whether it be politics, religion, the human experience was being reflected in that one subject. And so, yeah, I mean, for sure, I, I, I think perhaps the term targeted might be a little strong, but I do feel that those people like myself that came to this were attracted to the subject, which is bizarre in of itself, and we can go into that perhaps. Um, you know, there it was. It became very obvious that that, that the, these individuals, this initial team, and then many, many hundreds and thousands of more people, uh, could see in the mirror the experience that was uh, uncovering. Um, 
uh, unfolding in front of them. And when the bell rang, when the light came on, that this represented humanity, that what's happening outside as we speak today, as we have reached this crossroads, you know, for humanity and for the planet, whether one's looking at climate change and global warming um, or our, our, our politics, the way we treat one another, etc., um, it, it, it clearly is a much bigger subject. I think, and I've looked at your website, you know, I, I check in from time to time and you've sent me, you know, some of your own, uh, your thoughts and ideas. And uh, it's very clear that um, I think the lights are going on ar across a very broad spectrum uh, of individuals that personal experiences, and this is really, I guess, what I'm coming to say, is that personal experiences those that many of us, indeed I'd go as far as to say most of us, have held very close to our chest because we feel unsafe in the social engineering of society, deliberately engineered that way by governments and religions and so on, um, that we, our personal experiences that we've held to ourselves, only now, only now do we feel safe outside of the Victorian age to begin to share them and communicate them. That happened at the conference you and I met at. And uh, it is from that that the paradigm shift will unfold. You know, we, we, we uh, will embrace, not only imagine, but embrace and then manifest the collective um, information that we gain by sharing these experiences. As strange, indeed, as they are, as an engineer myself, at times, I wonder whether I'm crazy to be even thinking about these things. And yet, it, 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 uh, it, there is no doubt, this is for real, this is happening, and what is strange today will be science and reality tomorrow. Uh, okay, you're covering this is exactly the ground I want to sort of delve into in this. Um, and one of the things that, um, oh, I'm less interested, I mean, in kind of... Uh, the speculation and the the conclusions that people come to um, because I think that every single person who delves into this will come to, uh, you know, at the end of the day, their conclusions will be divergent from someone else's. What I'm much more interested in, which I find is, is almost, um, oh, the equivalent of the campfire story that the shaman would tell around, you know, with the villagers is what I'm more interested in is the stories, the, the real personal stories, because those tend to draw me in. Uh, yeah. And this is just myself. You know, I, I tend to be much more engrossed by the stories than by the, the, the conclusions. Um, sure. And I think that those, the stories, Oh, similar to a myth, which, which in a way, uh, can seep into the, I mean, this is, this is, this is, uh, they can seep into the, oh, the, the deeper part of one, you know, a story can, can have more power, I think, than, than a, than a, you know, than a, some speculation. Um, yes. And, but at the same time, you have to sort of do both. You can't, I mean, I, I proceed forward. I speculate all the time. I, I make these assumptions. I, I write about them. I try to, I wrestle with them, but, um, you know, I would, I would, I, I try to keep that to a minimum, and I try to keep the stories at the forefront. Um, hey, uh, so here, let me just ask one question here, um, and this is something I ask a lot of folks who are involved in this stuff. On a scale of one to ten, 
what would you what would you gauge your own personal sense of mission? That's a great question. I've never been asked that. Um, well, I would say that I I, I really do feel the tether that uh, pulls me. Uh, you know, uh, I I feel very much as if I'm somebody else's hand. <laughs> you know, as much as part of me says, look, you know, enough. Uh, there's a lot more in my my interest. Um, you know, palette that I want to do. It's time for me to disconnect from this and, and move to something else. And yet some other hand uh, keeps pulling me back and there's synchronicities and coincidences sometimes that do it. But I feel the, I mean, the answer is that, uh, you know, I'm up there in nine, 10 mark. It, uh, you know, I feel that it is a mission. Uh, I, I mean, my experiences, Mike, uh, you know, uh, kind of forced me to think that. I mean, I I had the most strange experiences when I was only five years old uh, that are, you know, uh, have troubled me greatly and, and for many years. And it was really only my doctors and my family that knew of these experiences, but they troubled me. They've acted, uh, as it were, to um, kind of create signposts in my future life. I mean, from five years old, I'm now 67 years old, you know, it seems like the signpost was implanted um, when I was five, and, um, you know, things have happened since then. That it, it, I'm almost outside of my control. Uh, so, you know, without sounding too off the paper, um, yeah, I, I, I'm up there nine ten. I, I really do feel that it is a mission. It would have stopped... A long time ago, if it had been anything less than that. I mean, remember, you know, I was a senior official regional government on excellent salary. I was doing a lot of things that I enjoyed and was successful at. I was married with one daughter in the country of England and everything I, I say lost um, as a result of uh, just a half a second glance into a field and seeing a cross of crop circles, which I coined the term, you know, at that time, in 1983, everything changed for me. Well, it seemed like those circles were waiting for me. That's kind of the impact that it's had. You know, my first marriage disintegrated. I left my country. I resigned my position. It's a lot to give up. It's everything that I'd earned up to that point and worked for and loved. You know, and here I am now still talking about the day, that half second, that changed my life. So this has to be on the scale of nine ten as my mission. Oh, that's that. Okay. Usually, people that when I ask that question of people who come on the show, usually they don't skip a beat and they'll say eleven. Um, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I'm a guy. You see, that the, the one point that that uh, <laughs> separates us is that I've got a certain degree of skepticism, which I've put into my system, embedded in my system because I feel it's an important measure of the reality that's unfolding in front of us, that need to be certain that you are right. And I think leaving yourself a wee bit of space uh, is never a bad thing. Well, and also, yeah, so in British, uh, you know, the, the understatement is something that sort of comes with the, uh, the, the, the country <laughs> of origin, I think. Um, but so, yeah, and, and uh, but that and I, the, I asked that question because that would have been my answer also right up there at 10. Yeah. I, I don't understand it. I, I have said this before. Um, folks who listen to these things, I'll, I'm repeating myself. Uh, you know, I am doing this this online thing. I'm getting, not getting any money out of it. I have a little, tiny little donation thing. So at the end of the year, I do make a 
a little bit so I can pay some of the fees that are required to post this online. But, um, you know, I am doing this. I, I, I hesitate to say what I'm going to say, but I've said it before. It feels like, um, uh, it is like there is a compulsion coming from an outside source. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely resonate with that. And I would have been very careful and even agreeing with you, um, but less than 10 years ago, something has shifted. But I, I think what uh, I, I would say to that is I, I feel absolutely a resonance with that. There is a need, uh, I felt, to be kind of seen as respectable and with, you know, to, to kind of hold some kind of respect you know, with professionalism in the back of your mind, losing, you know, credibility in the eyes of uh, your public and a public and your family and friends. So that's kind of often troubled me. Um, But I I have no no problem these days after being through so much and having hard researched a lot of this to say exactly as you have said, uh, there is a compulsion. There is something that drives us. And you and I uh, are just two of many, many folks who are doing the same thing for the same reasons, you know, being moved around like um, like pins on a chessboard. Uh, it, it really does feel like that, that, you know, life is, uh, you know, full of pieces that are not quite the way they seem and that uh, our inputs are important because, you know, you, you could look at the color spectrum you know, from white through to black. And um, there are degrees of perceptivity, perceptiveness uh, by individuals. There are degrees of, you know, individuals that choose to be uh, led rather than lead. And, you know, the, the spectrum is there on all levels and with all subjects. And so when somebody steps forward, like you have and like I did, um, that kind of speaks to something. It speaks to, okay, I'm up for it. I've put my hand up, I'm prepared to do this, I'm programmed to do this, I'm able to do this. Um, and so it makes us, it puts us into a, I'm not going to say a leadership, but into a position of influence. You are putting this out over the net, over the internet. Um, you know, I've gone, I've done, oh, I don't know, 20 or 30 interviews in the last uh, two weeks and with many more to come. So it, it, it is, it, you know, there's no doubt that if you look at it purely, you know, um, from the psychology of what we're involved in here and, and, and the physicalness of it, um, it, 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 I think it, you, you've termed it correctly. It's a mission because you step forward to fulfill a certain function. And, and uh, the, the, I can say that things have changed because, um, you know, reading – uh, you know, Whitley Strieber's communion and then the follow-up, you know, shitstorm that he had to endure uh, coming forward with his experiences. And this is, tw- that was 25 years ago. Um, yeah. In that quarter of a century, I have, I mean, in a much less grand way, obviously he was a, you know, best-selling author and on the New York Times, you know, bestseller list. And, um, but in a very modest way, I've come forward. I have had I'm going to say almost zero repercussions with with coming forward talking about this stuff. Uh, you know, the, the almost anything that's that's been challenging for me has almost been self-imposed. It's been my own, you know, existential angst, I guess. But yeah, so yeah. so just that alone, that um, folks are coming forward, 
sharing their stories, very few repercussions in their life uh, compared to what would have happened. I mean, it doesn't seem like too long ago that if you uh, had come forward with your experiences in your youth, um, there would have been, you know, one of the options would have been to institutionalize you and, and put you behind a locked door. Absolutely. And the crop circle phenomenon, I've said this many times, would not be where it is today. And I don't say that as a pat on my back, but had I been seeing Pat Delgado and Dr. Meaden, the first team in, in, in researching this, had we not uh, you know, taken the, the kind of, at the time, the high road of appearing scientific, we're using scientific protocols, never mentioning. And so here we are, you see, we were holding secrets. We were holding part of who we were off of the table in fear of, of, of those ramifications. You know, the repercussions would, as you correctly say, could have been the worst end, you know, institutionalized. You're, you're creating, uh, you know, havoc in society. You're a nutcase and you best be put away. You know, that, that's at the bottom end of it. But, but at the top end of it, it was uncomfortable. The, the, the term UFO has been deliberately engineered to close down conversations and to put you into a slot which is not comfortable. You know, so I agree. I mean, I totally agree. It was, I, I think what's happening, it, it, of course, it's multifaceted. A lot of things are happening. But the paradigm shift that, that is now underway, nobody will stop. It, it, it will, you know, this is running somewhere now. It, it, on every level, this will not stop. You know, when we talk about paradigm shifts, the tendency is to look at scientific and technological trends that usher in new thinking. You know, a, a, a great deal of what we're discovering, and you and I have already covered some of this, Graham, in these few minutes, however, does not represent a change in science and technology. It represents a change in humans. New information, which is what we're talking about, engages the mind. Events engage the emotions. And emotional shifts push people to expand. Each person who has experienced a high strangeness event that you and I are talking about holds a small piece of a larger picture, and it's time to put those pieces together. That's my view. It's not about what we can theorize or prove. It is about what we experience and how we feel. It's about changes our experiences create within us and how that alters the way we see and interact with the world. You know, we are uh, at a turning point and people's personal stories that you and I have already shared are more important than ever. That's the paradigm shift. This will not be stopped. Yeah. Okay. Now that you've just set me, I have a 50 questions to ask just in response to that. One of the, one of the uh, lines that I pulled out of the book uh, and is is on my piece of paper here, and, I, and you just covered it. Um, it's very early on. I think it might be in the first few pages. It says the hallmark of high strangeness events is that the encounters leave us permanently altered. And um, yes. and I feel like I've had some events uh, in the last seven years or so that make it impossible for me to. The, the only way I can say it is I look at the fabric of reality entirely different than I did before these events. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, again, you and I, Mike, it's, um, and others listening who have had these kind of high strangeness experiences know that kind of gnawing, aching inside that pulls you in different directions. You can't see the world in the same way anymore. You know, especially when one sees within the society around us, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, being kind of um, 
led into an opposite direction. In other words, uh, who, who are being taught to um, question the experience that we've had in the sense everybody should question. But what I mean to is basically I mean to disbelieve, you know, and, and to, to label us crazy when, you know, it, it takes tremendous courage to step forward in an environment which is not ready for you to share these things. And many have not. Many have not. And it, it, it's, um, that's the time that we're on right now. We're, 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 we're stood at a different time. We're stood on a crossroads. And there is no choice anymore in the matter. And I think this is the helping hand of another mind, another force that um, I don't know what we'll call it, whether you call it God or extraterrestrial uh, deceased souls or what, but there's a, a helping hand here um, because we, we are in trouble. I mean, it's just, you know, we are humanity uh, in, in great difficulty here uh, at a time when uh, there are no choices anymore other than to look at why and how we got here, how we've influenced some of the climate climatical problems, um, you know, how, how it is that we've allowed lies and deception and bullying to control where we are right now, why it is that we've not been courageous enough to pursue love, uh, uh, you know, and a coherence of love between all of us, and why we struggle with the simplest thing in the world of loving one another is, is totally baffling, I think, to everybody. So these are changing times. Uh, there, are, there is no choice that we can either move forward together or we'll disappear down the same black hole uh, very quickly. Agreed. Agreed. At a deep level. Yeah. yeah hey, yeah. you. I just. You just. It's uh, Sunday as we record this. Uh, Mel Fabregas, who runs a audio program called Veritas, uh, you are the featured guest for this week's program. And in that, very early on in part one of a two-part episode, you talk about some experiences you had as a five-year-old. Um, what I can do is just put a link on my show notes to that interview and folks can go listen to that, which I think was excellent. You talked about Thank you. your own, so you don't have to go through that, uh, you know, repeat that story again. Uh, what I can say is that your story as a five-year-old and I'm, and I, as a word, you know, UFO abduction, that boy, there's two words side by side. They got tons of baggage. I wish there was a better word, um, experience or contactee or whatever, you know, uh, all those words are limiting. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, so, and, and I think you came out in, and spoke about this initially publicly at a UFO conference in 2011 and late in the year in 2011. Um, is, is that correct? That, that was your, f- uh, no, it's, it's not, um, I might misadvertently in one of the interviews said 2011, I'm not always totally awake at three o'clock in the morning with some of these late night interviews but no it, it isn't in 2011 certainly i was um, relaying what had happened but the first the first time came uh, as a result of uh, some encouragement and i'll uh, i'll be brave enough to talk about that with you because i know you're clearly and uh, you know understanding of this this um, very difficult area um, I, I first uh, came out and spoke about what had happened to me when I was five years old at the um, Steve Bassett Paradigm um, uh, Conference in Washington, D.C. in 2009. And if I, if I may just very briefly tell you what happened, because, uh, again, this is, this is a high strange event in of itself. It's not everything that's happened to me in a crop circle. and Many have, 
um, but many have not. And uh, I was, uh, in fact, having a shower here in my home in, in Connecticut, where I'm speaking to you now, and uh, I was having a shower, thinking, and, you know, it's kind of a general meditative state. I think we all enjoy a hot water in the shower. And I think that, that probably um, maybe triggered this. I don't know. I think the state of mind one is in, that alpha state, uh, does support this kind of um, experience. But I was uh, not looking for it. Let me just put it that way. There I am, showering, and in my head came a very clear voice. Uh, and I've, I've had it several times in my life um, since I've been involved with this, never before. And it, it said, you must... Uh, go public with this now, and I knew exactly what it meant. Uh, it, it didn't. It didn't say, you know, with what happened to you when you were five, uh, or you know, what happened when you fell down the steps. Or it, it simply said, you must go public with this now. And immediately, with that, I'll call it an instruction or a suggestion. Um, I knew what it meant. That's the weird thing about it. And. Uh, I started thinking, and I thought, "Oh my gosh!" You know, and my stomach was turning over because I thought, "I don't, I can't do it. I, I don't think I can do this because I'm about to blow the entire subject out of the water if I come forward as being a kind of complete crazy after all these years. It'll be the end of it." And, and but I kept getting encouraged. No, no, timing is important. You must do this now. And, well, this is how it went. I, I looked at the notes. Steve Bassett was expecting a different presentation from me, which, in fact, was to counter the British government's official stance on this subject because I've been involved with the government on this subject, and perhaps that's something we talk about later. But that was what I was supposed to be talking about. But I came down to my computer. I fired it up. I got my information, my medical notes uh, from when I was five, and I thought, no, it feels right. Suddenly, it does feel right. Now, I went down to Washington, D.C., and before my presentation, Mike, I was approached by a man. He just looked as normal human being as you and I. And in this uh, audience of, of a large number of people um, in, in the, um, the, you know, the auditorium in the hotel, this man stepped in front of me. And he was looking beyond my eyes into my head. It was that kind of feeling. It was a knowing look, a look he gave me. And he said, you, you know that you have to do this now. And it's like, wow. I, and I looked at him and I just nodded. I didn't say a word back. He knew that I'd got that message. He knew that I was there and going to do it. Uh, it was very bizarre, very, very bizarre. And I did it. And, you know, then in 2011, I believe this is when you're referring to, um, I did the same thing again. I repeated it at uh, Dr. Stephen Greer's conference. Um, uh, and it, that prompted him and two other of his speakers to do actually the same thing. It was weird. It was like I'd opened a tap. I came out. In fact, to be honest with you, I started actually to cry. I, I uh, struggled to uh, control myself. Um, when I was speaking it, because uh, the effect that it has had of opening up a floodgate like that and speaking words that you've kept to yourself for so long and that has troubled you, um, you know, has an emotional component to it. And uh, it, 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 I, I struggled. And I found that after I left, Stephen Greer got up and Dr. Katiki as well from uh, Phoenix, you know, with the uh, the Phoenix Lights um, 
research that she has done, uh, they did the same thing. Out of nowhere, they did the same thing about personal experiences, and they cried too. It was, for me, a confirmation that this is the pain, and sometimes it is that painful, to slowly inch ourselves forward so that others do the same thing. You're set by example, which has now happened a lot and is happening. We're doing it today on your program. And slowly but surely, the paradigm, the new paradigm, is cemented in position. And what is crazy today will be perfectly normal uh, tomorrow. Okay. Whew. Okay, now... That's so interesting. I had never heard the story about the man at the uh, at the conference, sort of. No. And have you seen him before or since? No, I've I'd never seen him before. Uh, never, never, not seen him since. And was he like present at the conference? Was a, I think it was like those conferences were run over a weekend. Did you kind of see him? Yeah. Throughout That's that right. conference, or I did not. No, sorry, I, I no, I didn't see him again. Uh, he may well have been there, and I'm sure he was an attendee. But he went out of his way. He just like stood right in front of me and knew that I would know what he was talking about. And I did. There, he, was, he had a, a charismatic, uh, a very friendly, it wasn't a, you know, kind of a, like a, a, a CIA or, a, you know, a, a kind of threatening tone to him. Um, not that at all. It was friendly and supportive. But nonetheless, it was like a striking reminder that he and I shared something private and, you know, uh, meaningful. Uh, it, it was it was just bizarre. It, it, you know, had I not had that experience, I would have said to him, I thought about it a lot. What are you talking about? You know, I mean, like, who are you? You know, what, what do you mean? But it wasn't that conversation. It was it was not it was confirmation, you know. And he knew it, and I knew it, and I then went within a short time to the microphone and presented what I'd been asked to present by a voice in the shower. I mean, it's 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 crazy, and yet you know I have every bit of backup evidence that I need. It's on my website. It's in the book, and more. You know, I've got my government. Uh, the my health records in Britain were held by the government. I, I have now a copy of them. My doctors and my family, uh, my mum and dad have now passed, but they confirmed all this when they were alive. My brothers and sisters are still with me. One brother and one sister are still with me. They have affidavit support of the fact that after I'd had these experiences, I, I was blistered throughout my body. Uh, doctors were mystified by it, but I'd gone into a bright white light. And, you know, those things, as, as you say, are on a Malfabricas interview, um, which you're, you're going to link. Yes. This is a question now I, I guess I can ask you, but um, I guess I should also ask Lynn Katai and Dr. Greer. Now, when they stood on the podium and, and spoke their experiences, spoke their truth, did they do it as a direct result of you coming forward and sharing yours, or did they have their own experience of, let's say, hearing a voice in the shower? Did they know ahead of time also? That's a fantastic question, and I don't, I have never asked them that. My impression, being there uh, with them at that time, was that the fact that I'd had that emotional outburst, which, of course, people were talking about, and that they had witnessed it for themselves in my audience, that they felt compelled I don't think they planned it at all. It, it, they, were, they weren't reading off of notes. 
Uh, this came right out. Uh, I remember Stephen is saying, uh, he, I think he was at before Lynn, um, speaking um, about what happened to him when he was, I think, 19 years old. And he broke down. He could barely speak it. Now, he'd never said that before in public. I don't know that he has since. And then Lynn the same. You know, it, it's, it's a hard thing. Uh, so, but I, I don't know the answer to uh, your question. Oh, okay. And, and, and that would be, I mean, I could feel like I could ask either of them. And that would be a, like a, yes. like a uh, you know, I, and I, who knows what the answer may be. It doesn't really matter yeah. in a way. I mean, both of them have, a, have the air of magic to it. So, uh, you know, either way it gets answered. Now, um, this is something that has happened to me. And I cannot tell you how many times uh, you go to a UFO conference and you, uh, you know, listen to someone. They stand on the stage and they give their presentation. It's based on their book. It's all very pragmatic. It involves you know, diligent research, and then you sit them down at the bar, you get a couple glasses of wine in them, and then you kind of ask them, like, well, what's your, you know, like, what's your experience? And they will tell something much more bizarre. Yeah. Um, there's kind of two levels, and this is something that I'm sort of dealing with right now in a lot of my research when I talk to people. There's people who will say, oh, you know, I'm not a UFO abductee. And then they'll tell you five or six things that a UFO abductee would say. It's like, oh, well, you know, I had this yeah. very vivid dream where I got floated out of the room by these beings, or, and uh, I had this missing time event, or whatever. They'll still tell things that – so it's not it's not really up to me sitting down in the bar like to, like, you know, point at them and say, ha-ha, guess what? Um, but uh, – so, but I cannot tell you how many times either I've heard people say straight up, I am a UFO abductee. I can't talk about it. It's, you know, I, I have my credibility. Um, yeah. And and I'm assuming you've probably heard similar things. Many. Yeah. And my yeah, sense many. is at this point, having heard that, is that I guess 100% is a big number. And I'm, and I'm not going to, I have, I'm, obviously this is all anecdotal. So, um, but uh I, I would be irresponsible for me to say a hundred percent, but I would say a very, very high percent, close to a hundred percent of the people that have any kind of involvement in this stuff who are coming and, you know, who are doing, you know, writing books, doing research. I sense, I don't know, but I sense that almost all of them have quite probably had had contact, abduction, whatever word you want to use experiences in their life. I think that's probably the most um, important, uh, profound statement that I've heard in a long time. You've just made there, and I, I, I think this this perhaps is is indeed your mission, Mike. Because uh, th- if that statement is correct, and I agree with you, uh, and I do believe it is correct, uh, then th- th- this is important to how we how how we deal with this. Uh, you know how we see our, our our world around us and our future. Because I, I'll go. I, I, I don't know. If I think it's a step further than you, but I'll expand upon. You, you related that to those involved in this subject, which I agree with you. But look outside of the subject. Look at, for example, those other subjects that can influence the way we think about this subject. And one of them is music. You know, I, I've spent time. Uh, in fact. You know, my book, this book, is dedicated to Reg Presley, who was my closest friend, the lead singer of the Trogs, you know, who, who, who's, um, you know, their, their most well-known numbers, just for those listening, for those that might not be conversant, is Wild Thing and Love Is All Around, you know, from the 60s into the 70s, big number one um, group. Well, Reg Presley had experiences, and indeed he had a profound experience in in constructing, writing, constructing, then releasing and influencing the world by love is all around. 
Well, you know, that might sound well, yeah, okay, so what? Well, at another one of my presentations, out of the audience came Mike Bender of the Moody Blues. And Mike, I, I spent, uh, another Mike, I spent the rest of the afternoon after my presentation with Mike Pinder and his lead guitarist of the Moody Blues, who were telling me of the most extraordinary experiences, UFO and ET experiences, they have had as a group and individually that, that formed the very, the very reason that they wrote certain numbers, the very strong, very powerful um, words and meanings, you know, lost in a lost world. And, uh, you know, very profound numbers. Anybody that's, you know, uh, followers of the Moody Blues music knows there's there. This is not a 10 second, you know, flip of a switch and pass. Let's let's listen to the next. These are very profound and inserted that they I mean, Mike told me himself that these numbers, these these songs uh, placed into the public domain from somewhere else. You know, when you have an urge to write a number, is no different to having an urge to go out and see a UFO in the sky. It's no different to getting an urge to make a crop circle, which has profound impact upon people. Make it, I said. You see there, Mike? I mean, a lot of people think, well, they're, they're either all real or some of them are. Well, the, the, the thing that comes out in this book, which will be the first time it's been written, is that people that make them are as an important part of this as uh, the, those that we can't resolve because it's how and why they make them. And it's the same stuff. They have experiences that lead them to make very specific patterns in very specific places at very specific times. And so that's no different. It, it ties it all together. It's why you and I are talking to one another. It wasn't necessarily a crop circle in your world or a UFO in somebody else's world. It was uh, it was a profound experience to write a certain certain words to a piece of music, or to go out and do something in politics, to start a war, or to end one somewhere. This is this indicates that we are not in totally in control of our own what we perceive to be our own thoughts, are perhaps on occasions something else. Ooh, okay, now one of the things that I had written down and I crossed it out. I said, "Ah, eh, we won't have time for this," but I was. You know, my sense was, you know, I actually thought, didn't know much about Reg Presley at all during his life. It was only during um, the sort of online um, memorial stuff that I was reading. I know Nick Redford yeah. wrote a, a bunch about him. Uh, and as soon as I read that, that he had been doing, um, you know, crop circle research and UFO research and digging into these things, um, I, the little bell went off in my head and I just, as clear as anything, I just heard it in my, well, this is, it was definitely my own intuition i'll say rather than like an outside source but i just said oh he's he was obviously an abductee and yeah. what you're saying about the folks from the moody blues and i and there are um uh you know the, that's one of the questions i ask when i when people will come forward to me and i get a lot of it through email uh to my uh just to me personally and people want to share these experiences and i have a very short list a questionnaire that i ask one of them is the sense of mission you know what's your sense of mission one to ten yeah and another question is are you a creative type now obviously you know there's plenty of you know non-creative types you know lawyers yeah. and such that are are you know policemen and stuff like that that are uh but i you know i work as an illustrator and have i've been a you know uh, uh have an artistic temperament and have all my life has even as a tiny little boy um and to me that temperament is is uh you know is something i put on the checklist you know on the on the yeah. side that would that would uh 
that I find very interesting as a pattern. Now, another person that I now here I'm gonna, like I am not saying that this person is an abductee, but I do sense that Peter Gabriel uh, is kind of uh, has is on the other side of that line in the sense in just the lyrics to Salisbury Hill, that song, the pop song from I guess it would have been yeah. the '80s. Um, yeah. To me, boy, you read those lyrics and you just like this guy's an abductee. This is a this yeah. is a very mystical interpretation of the abduction thing. Now, well, let me uh, let's, now. Uh, we have been polluted. Our minds, our our pop culture psyche has been polluted with the late night TV cable documentary that shows alien abduction as being uh, something terrifying. It takes place in a in a you know like the the with uh, creepy lighting. They do the reenactment with haunted house music and 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 bad rubber masks and stuff like that and and examination tables. Now all those things are part of the overall phenomena, but I cannot tell you how rare it is for me to hear those stories. What I am hearing instead is something uh, much more mystical and mysterious. That is that is interfacing with these people's lives much more like the lyrics of peter gabriel's salisbury hill and much less like though i certainly there's plenty of examples of it much less like the scary um ufo documentaries that we watch late at night that are yeah. that are that are played for exploitation yeah 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 i i don't have too much to add to that i mean um yeah i i hear what you say uh, it's um I mean, you see, with, with, with the Moody Blues, I mean, I'm sure Mike, who may well kind of tap into your program along the way, um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing the fact that, uh, that he and his guitarist, um, I've just unfortunately just forgotten his name, I apologize for that, um, but they knew one another, uh, they see it this way, they remember it this way in a previous life, they remember a time when they were living in a circular um, atmosphere. It was, it was in a place that they are quite, I think, easy with the term UFO. Uh, it was a very um, uh, plain um, environment in which they, were, they existed. They said that there was this very large table. It was a table of knowledge where very elderly uh, people um, interacted and, and resolved problems uh, across a cosmos. Uh, all very strange, and uh, you know, his guitarist said, uh, "Well, Mike, you know, tell him about, tell me this is, uh, tell him about that 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 dark spot, uh, you know, where, you know, when when individuals were were asked to return to certain places, that's where they would always exit." And oh yeah, he said, "Well, both of us went, you know, we were called upon, and you know, to come back to this planet, planet Earth, we we were called back." to um, install music and uh, certain, um, you know, uh, lyrics. And that's where we went. We went down this vortex, this black spot with a, a dark vortex, and suddenly uh, here we were, you know, being born of, of, of two people. Um, you know, it, it's, um, I mean, so it, that's a whole different experience to being laid on a table with uh, large eyes and sticking needles in you. It's a whole different situation, uh, but that and, and I had two people in front of me, um, you know, two very sincere men in front of me telling me this. And the way they bounced off of one another as we were having dinner was very obvious. This was not manufactured. This was something that was known to them at a very deep, personal, detailed level. Um, and they were just relating it to me. It's like, 
like you know our our visit to um, Seattle last week. It was just totally strange. Now, okay, very so. Yeah, that that's now. I have been told by psychics. I have no evidence of this myself. So I'm just clear that up. I I I can't say this with any authority about myself. I can repeat what psychics have told me about myself is that um, I made that same soul contract. Uh, came here, got reincarnated into this, you know, meat sack that I'm sitting here uh, in right now, and that I came here to perform some duty, um, or job, or 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 fulfill the contract. Let's say. Uh, now, this is something that that uh, is covered uh, not extensively within the UFO literature. Uh, some people certainly were covering it, and I know Dr. John Mack. Um, I think his was one of the very first. Oh, that that came up with a number of his uh, patients that he was working with in the book abduction. Yeah. That that soul contract, you know, yeah. being reincarnated yeah. here to perform some duty, um, and that duty may be, you know, like so. I I, I my blog is very modest, um, though I do feel like uh, I trust that the the tiny ripples in the pond that that my you know that my modest little podcast series produced. You know, my hope is that they that they resonate outward. My sense is that um, like, I, I'm not that interested in disclosure from top down. You know what I mean? I, I don't, that doesn't right. interest me. I'm much more interested in people being very honest from bottom up. Um, that yeah. will change the paradigm much differently than, than someone standing at a podium in a, in a, at a press conference. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so pleased to, to get a better sense of where you're going with this because uh, that, that is an important function. A very important function, you know, the here and now, and what we're experiencing, and how it will change us. You know, that's that's very different to, uh, you know, fighting the cause for a dishonest government to release what it knows. As important as that is, too. Um, but no, I, it's it's great. I think what you're doing is very valuable. Hey, so I'm going to come back to this again, these things, but here, if you could share one story that I had never heard before, I found it fascinating. In your book on page 120, you share a story about a circle maker. This would be what would be referred as a hoaxer or a, you know, someone yeah. who sneaks out into the field at night. His name is Matthew Williams, and he tells of a very strange experience with, with, with time and some sort of distortion or shifting of time. And that, I, I would never heard that before. I was, I was blown away by the implications of that story. Yes. Uh, well, there are, there have been many that have, uh, you know, relayed the fact that, you know, there is this tremendous uh, sudden shift in time. Uh, there's a lot to say about Matthew, and uh, I'll try and hone. I don't have the book right in front of me, so I'm going to hone to hone myself uh, through probably a number of things that will um, cover this. I think one of the most uh, uh, interesting things that happened to Matthew that, uh, you know, encouraged me to spend more time with him. Uh, he, he was a guy that you, you might say, if you say hoaxer or circle maker, of which Matthew certainly is or was, um, you know, that, that tends to um, produce that little box that most people have little to do with because it, it's perceived as being um, you know, deception, deceptive, negative, uh, not anything anybody particularly wants to get involved with. But when I, my eyes were open to this, um, in 1999 first, um, through to 2000 when we were looking at the hoaxing in particular, 
Uh, Matthew had an experience which uh, pricked my ears up. Uh, I researched it and found that he was uh, totally legitimate, totally honest in what he was saying, and with profound consequences. He was watching television. This is where it begins for uh, you know my interest in Matthew. Um, he, he was watching television, uh, I think just after 10 o'clock one evening. It's uh, July 1999. And he said that this pattern, the particular pattern, uh, came into his head, just like jumped straight in out of nowhere. And he started thinking about it. And he thought, you know, I think I could make that alone. It doesn't need to be large. I, can, I think I can make that alone. So step two here is that he gathered up his bits and pieces that he makes crop circles with. He got, got in his car and basically was just simply an intuitive forward motion of the car. <laughs> he, he had no plans. And I mean, moments ago, he didn't know he was going to be out doing anything but watching television. And so he, he, he kind of just headed out into the countryside, just felt that the the field on his right-hand side felt right to manufacture it. He got out of his vehicle. He went into the field, and he could hear what he thought were voices. Stopped, he listened. He could hear voices, couldn't be certain where they were coming from, questioned himself whether he should go ahead with this, that he might be seen. He stood. He did a process. He checked in with himself of his sincerity and his, his, will, his, his desire to uncover you know, more about this subject himself. It was just a different way of coming at it. And as he moved into the field to execute this, there was a very sudden, dramatic reduction in temperature. Now, I know something about this because we've conducted surveillance operations where this has happened, and, you know, perhaps for another program, there's too much to say on that at this point. But there was um, a rapid reduction in, I would imagine, the atmospheric gradient. And we don't know what does that, what controls that, but it squeezes the moisture out of the air. And the, the, the condensing created a fog, a localized to that topography fog, which appeared around him, not everywhere else, but around him. He made this design. I've got aerial photographs taken the next day um, from the surveillance aircraft. And this is what happened. He, he leaves, he goes home, and he hears about on the grapevine that there was a group of women meditating in that field that same night. He researched, as I have done since, and discovered uh, who this was, went to see the woman whose group it was, and discovered that they were meditating on the very design that he created, and they meditated on having it appear in that field that night. He provided the, the circle, the pattern, and in the field that night. Hey, this is Mike. I am chiming in during the editing. Hey, I asked a question about an event that took place on page 120 in his book. He said he didn't remember. Then he went on to tell a completely different story uh, that was equally as interesting that, uh, that, that isn't in the book. Um, so what I'm going to do here is just read you the couple of paragraphs about the event that I was asking about. This is on page 120 in Colin Andrews' book, On the Edge of Reality. Matthew Williams reports another type of time anomaly. Rather than missing time, his experience seems suspended or reversed. His story can be heard in an interview with On the Edge TV, where he reports being with a team of people creating a crop circle at night. 
Asking for a time check, he is told that it is five minutes past one. With the design well underway, he figures they will have time to finish. They work until he sees the sky beginning to turn red and realizes the sun will be up in an hour and that they will not have sufficient time to complete the design. Looking into the sky, he says, God, I really, really need some more time for this. He then asks his teammates for a time check. Looking at their watches, Matthew is once again told it is one o'clock. Startled, he looks back into the sky and sees that the cloud bank has returned to where it was at one o'clock, and it is again dark. They continue and finish the circle before daylight. Now, to me, that, that sounds like the experience of a UFO abductee, that elastic, confusing, distorted time effect is something that shows up uh, in the abduction phenomenon uh, with with great regularity. And there you have it. Okay, back to the interview. He provided the, the circle, the pattern, and in the field that night. That, 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 again, is a direct parallel to what happened to me in 87 when I meditated and it's going through then what was becoming a difficult uh, marriage or situation i was meditating i was alone and i meditated on design and i said in my meditation as close to my home as possible this this was the engineer scientist turning uh you know very laterally and um moving down a different road suddenly because that night that pattern appeared in a field the only field the closest field that remained unharvested to my home so, you know, he had a time warp situation of time during that. I, I personally did not, but then I wasn't out making crop circles. He was. You know, I, we've had many. My, my co-author, Pat Delgado, um, he, he experienced two hours missing time. I have interviewed. Um, do, do you want me just to speak for a few more moments on a, a very important case of missing time? In sure, absolutely. Circles? Yeah, very much. Because I think it probably makes a, a better case for the missing time as part of this overall sequence of events than what I've just said. Um, I can't name names on this, unfortunately, because uh, you know I, I, I have to respect that uh, one of these scientists works in, a, in, in a top secret work. And it's the reason that this uh, case is not public. Um, I actually uh, discussed this with John Mack, as we've just talked about, and Bud Hopkins and others, with the possibility, if we were able to ascertain permission, to regress both this scientist, who's a nuclear physicist, um, uh, with uh, two other members of his family. Well, they were part of my uh, a team that were working with me um, uh, um, in the early 90s. And... Um, it's a long story, but I'm just going to keep it very brief here. The whole thing started to go strange when they were visiting. I was at, here in the U.S. before I flew over, waiting actually to get an aircraft to fly over. When they were at in a field south of Silbury Hill, archaeological site, which is where you know many of these circles appear, uh, to investigate a, a pattern that had shown up. Well, um, Army helicopter arrives and began harassing them. And by that, I mean they were ex extremely close to these people in this field and trying to push them out the field. Well, they actually did so. They left the field, and they headed to a nearby place 
to try and find out the name of the owner, the landowner, to come back later. And as they did so, uh, they saw a black motor car. This was an American motor car on the wrong side of the road in Great Britain, this is. And at that very instant, when you would have expected a collision to take place, uh, they don't rem remember anything. There's a missing time for about three quarters of an hour, an initial, the first phase of this. They then found themselves further down the road, next adjacent to a new crop circle, and then to the right was where the helicopter had been. So they had time warped back to where they were, virtually, with a new circle that arrived near, nearby meanwhile. They have red spots on the back of their necks in the same identical place, each of them. They had severe nosebleeds that night, but within moments of t discussing with one another how they got there, they were very shaken up. They had no idea how they'd gotten there. They were trying to one, I mean, work out what had happened since the black car had come towards them. Then there was two hours of missing time, and they were driving in the wrong direction on the outskirts of the town where I lived in Andover, Hampshire, um, approximately 17 miles uh, east of Stonehenge. Uh, as I say, a very strange seri series of circumstances, probably the most um, well-documented but not made public a case that I would dearly love to this day to have that team um, regressed. I was a skeptic um, with regression. Uh, I refused regression myself until uh, Dr. Harder uh, did regress me, um, as he had previously done to Travis Walton and uh, Barney and Betty Hill. And out of that came a whole change to the way I see the world. And I think something else happened to these guys uh, that could be of importance to us too. Okay. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Nice. I mean, the, 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 the blending now it's very, people will tell me like that. Uh, here, let me share. Can I share a couple stories and then, and I Absolutely. would love to get your um, insights and feedback. Um, so here, the first one, uh, this goes back to August of 2002. This was well before I had started looking into my own experiences, and and I if and and I mean at the time I was reading you know kind of channeled books and UFO books and stuff like that, but I had no sense at all that I had any kind of connection to this stuff, except a just peripheral interest in some books on my shelf. Now, uh, it was the evening. Uh, sitting at my desk, I had this thought, and there's two kinds of, you know, there's a thought that kind of arrives just poof into your mind, and then there's like what the normal thought, you know, I can think about yeah. like, oh, I have to, you know, I have to go to the kitchen and do the dishes, and like, oh, that means that, wait a minute, I'm going to pass my checkbook, I have to balance my checkbook, and oh, that, and, and then I, oh, I need to make that call now that I think about, you know, there's that kind of thought, you know, like normal, yeah. everyday thought follows that. This was different. All of a sudden, this thought popped into my head, and it said, we need a crop circle in this valley. And I just was like, whoa. And I, and I kind of just thought about it. And it's like, you know, we do need a crop circle in this valley. It'd be fun. It would, you know, liven things up. It would, it would. And so there was this kind of like happy, buoyant quality to the thought. It wasn't foreboding or anything like that. Um, I didn't think anything about it. I just went about my stuff. The next day I get up and walk around a town, very, very small town. Let me tell you, I live in a tiny little town uh, in a very dusty, isolated corner of Idaho. So see this friend of mine on the street and she says, Hey, did you hear about the crop circle that appeared last night? 
So, uh, and then I went to the crop circle and by, uh, you know, with the standards of Southern England, it probably wasn't that, uh, it was a series of 16 circles. The patterns were alternating one, you know, one line of circles was magnetic north, one was geographic north. It was near a graveyard, which is interesting. Um, and it was it was almost in the only, you know, very, very flat uh, out in the where the fields where they were growing the Susan wheat. Um, and it was just at the one spot where there was just a slight little hump. <laughs> so, yeah. like, you couldn't have, yeah. you couldn't have, if it had been 50 yards in either direction, um, you wouldn't have been able to see it. Um, <laughs> and then there was a researcher there. Uh, her name is uh, Stace Tussle. Oh, yes. And she um, she did what I considered an excellent report on this. I'll include that in the show notes. And I've since become friends with her just over the phone. But that was the only time we ever met was standing there in front of the crop circle. And out of the blue, now you don't know much about what I do, but I do these illustrations that are very cartoony, very have they always, all of them have this kind of vibe that they look like they're from a old dusty a comic book you know they have this kind of uh, nostalgic right. vibe to the way they look so she says you know like hey i'm working on a ufo book and i'm like that came out of nowhere it wasn't didn't follow the linear line of the conversation and then she followed that up with like you know i i know the title and and, and the content but i don't have anyone to do the the cover and and i was like well what do you want the, the cover to look like and uh and she said well i want it to look like an old uh comic book well you know the, with hand lettering and and uh you know sort of uh you know with exaggerated like the exaggerated cover from an old time comic book and the guy standing next to me just started laughing oh my gosh the, so so basically i reached into my pocket and pulled out a, a business card and said well you know you don't have to look anymore because i'm the guy uh so there's two odd synchronicities oh yeah yeah i i mean i'm getting all of the uh all of the confirmations lights have gone on for me with that. Uh, yeah, you, you clearly uh, are, are supposed to be doing this work. Uh, there's, there's no question about that. Uh, this is your role. Um, and um, I mean, just every part of it, just every part of it, the, the synchronistic side of it, the actual crop circle and its location, its placement. There was a transmission you received uh, there's there's probably more more individuals associated with that that you're yet to meet. Um, uh, Stace Tesla, I've got a lot of respect for myself. It's not that I've had a lot of dealings with her. I, re- I believe she was the lady that um, uh, maybe I could. Well, I'm sure I can just talk about this, uh, even if I got the wrong name. I do believe it was Stace Tesla that um, was at a checkout when. Um, she saw somebody who was the spitting image of um, Doug Bauer. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's actually one of the questions on my thing here. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Well, because I've had that exact same experience, exact same experience, um, that this, you and I have just discussed something that has only, I think, been mentioned probably twice in any interview I've ever done about the person that um, confronted me in Washington, D.C. about that experience. It was basically prompting me to come through with what I had in my head you know when you're when you're getting in your head we'll just put it that way that you know you need a crop circle there it's the same stuff as you know you need to go with this public who, who who's conducting this conversation you know well I, I was actually sat with Stephen Greer just having finished a presentation I'm not sure where it was it was in the south, southern part of this country and uh, into the bar came um, I won't go too off at a tangent here I there's so many things to say but supporting what Stacy happened to say was that um, 
into, into the bar in this very busy area, came, and I thought it was Doug Bauer. He looked at me, he smirked. It was like, yeah, you, 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 yep, this is me. And I'm looking at him thinking, what in the world are you doing here? And he, as he walked, he wasn't even looking where he was going, around all the feet, and people sat at the bar and the tables. He seemed to know exactly where he was being taken without him looking where he was going. His eyes were fixated on me, and I'm confirming by looking back, I know who you are, so don't worry, I know who you are. You know, and, you know, she had the same thing. The same guy, I think, looked around, I can't remember what happened between the two of them, it was almost um, the same, he, just exactly. There was a knowing smirk, and you know, he kind of had a twinkle in his eye. No right. words were exchanged. She simply saw him, recognized him immediately. Uh, as And this, unlike at a UFO conference, this took place at some, I mean, this is in the middle of Kansas, at some dusty yeah. gas station, you know, in the aisle with the potato chips. Oh, I remember, yes, I remember her saying so. It, 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 it's totally crazy. Uh, but, we, we, you know, we, have, we record these things. We uh, see if they integrate as we traverse this uh, rather unusual path and this unusual time. But I have great respect um, for people that share that, you see, because it's not always that one, uh, you know, feels you can. But I think this is a great conversation because it's bringing a lot out. I know that the alignments that you have, um, you know, that, 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 that you have in your experiences, which, you know, I don't know whether you want to discuss. Oh, first, that's but... my next question here. So, so yesterday I sent you an email with some images. Do you have that? Uh... Yes, I do. Is it up in front of you? Because that's it... one of the things I want to talk about is those images. Yes, it is on, and I got it ready thinking that was going to happen. Great. Here, let me just start um, in with that then. So so this goes back to, which is a very interesting date, uh, it goes back to March 9th, 2010. On that day, I did, uh, uh, first of all, I did the illustrations for a... Um, for a friend of mine, his name is Mac Tonys. I did the illustrations for a book that he wrote. The book is called The Crypto Terrestrials. It's a short little book um, where he speculates about the source of the UFO phenomenon, like not being right. from outer space, like somehow being from here. It was a very well-received book. Now, Mac was 34 years old. He died uh, uh, very young of heart failure. And the first thing everyone hints at is like, ooh, you know, like there's some conspiratorial thing. Having talked to his his mother and then having talked to him a lot uh, in the months leading up to that, you know, he did have some warning signs. Now, when they found him, he had uh, the notes in paper with all, you know, his final corrections was on the desk next to his bed with, you know, the red, you know, the red pen marks, you know, giving his final edits to the book. Um, uh, so I received on, on, March 9th, 2010, I received uh, the book in the mail. Now, also that same day, a, a, an acquaintance of mine from just online stuff sends a photograph of 28 owls on a fence. Yeah. Now, I haven't asked you this, but I have, I will, but I've had a lot of weird owl experiences, and that's one of the questions I'll get back to you. So, first of all, owls, uh, Mac Tony's book, they arrived the same day, so... The next day, I think, wait a minute, I wonder how far it was between, because the owls were from Missouri, the, the photograph was taken in Missouri, Mac died and lived in Kansas City, Missouri, so I, I put a line in a map and they were a one 
123 miles apart from where the owls were to where Mac lived. Now that number 123 shows up. Now let me back up. In November of 2009, so what is that, like five months before, I did a psychic session with a woman named Anya Briggs, and I have the audio of that posted on my site, and she is doing just, you know, kind of uh, normal stuff that any psychic would say. She was kind of, and I have it recorded, and I and I posted a, an excerpt of that recording. She's saying, um, you know, you should eat more olive oil. She should eat a little less salt. Do you know Byron, North Dakota? Do you know Byron, Wyoming? Yeah, so she just <laughs> oh. blurted that out in her psychic session, and we were both oh, like, we were like, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? So, uh, so I had just Googled Byron, North Dakota. And you can see on this map image here that there's a red pushpin for Byron, North Dakota. Um, I didn't know what it was. It's not a town. It turned out to be a county. So when you zoom in close on that red pushpin, it just shows up as a, just a dot in a, in a farmer's field. Now here's, so, so the green pushpin down in the lower corner, 28 hours in a fence. And then max home, 123 miles apart. I knew, like, I cannot put it into words. I, I, intuitive is too light a word. Like, I knew that if I stretched a line all the way north to Byron, North Dakota, it would make an exact line between those two points. You know, so the two points, the green and the red, and then it passes yeah. through Max Home. Now, later on, someone listens to my, uh, to the audio. And I'd never even bothered to look because I just found Byron, North Dakota. Someone said, hey, you know, there's a Byron, Wyoming, don't you? And I had the same exact sensation. I knew if I ran a line between that pushpin, it would bump into my cabin. So there's a line. That blue line is over 600 miles long. It starts in Byron, North Dakota. It passes through Byron, Wyoming and ends up in my cabin, like literally bisecting the room that i'm sitting in right now yeah um, and i yeah. can zoom in and get that thing one pixel thick uh there's so i if you create a triangle out of that uh, there are some crop circles that show up in kansas that don't fall exactly under the line but through stace tussle helped me locate a few that are very close to that line um yeah. if i had done that if i had created this map with a pencil on a piece of paper the the lines would have that would have obliterated the uh, the crop circles, but because it's on a computer and I can zoom in and be so exact, you know those crop circles aren't right there. Now, also in that same psychic session with 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 Anya, the, the uh, Anya Briggs, she said something that was very unusual. She said, um, uh, "Okay, now if you go to the border, if you go 15 miles north from Byron to the border, and then you cross the border and you go 15 more miles." will be there. So I, I, I followed Byron, North Dakota. You follow it North. There's the Canadian border. It's not quite 15 miles and you go 15 miles North of there. And there's whatever, just some farmer's fields and lakes and stuff. There's nothing really much to see in Canada there. Uh, Someone pointed out to me that if you click on the one that says prior range on it and look at that image, if you go 15 miles North of Byron, Wyoming, you arrive at the Wyoming-Montana border. And if you go 15 miles north from that border, you're in the Prior Range. Now, the Prior Range is the traditional home of the little people in the Blackfoot and Crow nations. And then, and also, to, I have been having a lot of odd synchronicities and people coming to me and telling me little people stories. 
uh, one of them was very interesting. So I'll, I, that, that's a that's a half hour story in itself. But I um so I went camping all alone for three days in the Prior Range. It's considered a sacred range in the Native Americans. You're you're expected to leave uh, little tokens of tobacco. So I had these little pouches of tobacco. I hiked around for three days. I slept out. It was raining. It was kind of rough weather that that weekend. And I left little pouches of tobacco everywhere. Nothing happened, right? I come back. I come home. And the night after driving home from the prior range, which is a long drive for, from, from where I am, I um, lay down, went to sleep. I had a very vivid dream. Now, I, I sense... Uh, I sense that the vivid dreams, these vivid dreams, I trust them. They have a certain power that 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 is yeah. different than a normal dream. And I used to be an art director in New York City, and I did my initial art direction in the 70s. So I had this very clear image of a raven against a gold-yellow background. And I could look right in. I could see the typeface. I knew it was Helvetica. I knew it was Helvetica bold. I could see the, the distance between the letters. And it made this very tidy, pretty art-directed poster. And the and all it said was, follow your heart. And it had the image of a raven on a gold background. I'm looking at it right it now. It said, follow yeah. your heart. So in a way, uh, now, I'm, now I'm coming to a conclusion, which may or may not be correct. My conclusion was that this elaborate, giant triangle that you know that triangle could easily you could take all of the british isles and easily fit it right inside that triangle it's big um these things line up with an exactitude that freaks me out um and the culmination of the entirety of it is this image of this raven in this very simple three-word message which i felt was right to me wow so yeah so there i now i'm so that was a long i went on and on and on but um so now uh uh, now, I guess I'm looking to you, who's sort of who's walked along this path a little bit more than I have. What's your sense? Well, I, I'm thinking hard as I was trying to kind of almost drop into your head as you were you, you were um, talking this through. What I, what I what I get is that we both have. A, it'll be interesting to see what comes onto your website after this has gone out because. You were, by experience, personal experience and events around you which came to you and you followed up on, were able to basically look at the geometry of a range of thought patterns. It's almost like the ley line instilled into the ground was a thought line, like, you you know, from your house to events that were brought to your attention, uh, like focused back to you. in a whole range of meaningful um, interactions with you, a geometry was formed on the landscape, which in of itself would seem to indicate, and this is, this is the thing, uh, some sort of importance, some kind of importance. Well, if I were just to say that you have lived out in that whole sequence a, a geometry, in some sense you have lived an ex- the experience of a geometry, I I did the same thing, and you know I think you'll see the parallels. As uh, if you haven't got to this in the book, you you will um, certainly it'll ring some bells with you when you do. Uh, in in the book, you know, on the edge of reality, Cynthia and I, and and uh, this is not to take away. This is to help and share and to add to what you have said because there are striking parallels here. I Cynthia and I. Uh, now together, uh, you know, as I told you, my first marriage b- broke up, and in the early days in, of our relationship, we did, neither of us had a home. You know, our homes had gone to our previous marriages, 
And we were asleep uh, close to where I'm talking to you in Branford, Connecticut, close to New Haven, Yale University. And we were staying at our mom and dad's house. And we were asleep in the middle of the night. And out of nowhere, a switch, like a switch thrown, we both, our eyes opened. It just at the same time, I was not aware of this at the moment. I'll, I'll show you how, how all of this unfolded. I could not move. My, I'm speaking now of my experience, and I'll speak in a moment to Cynthia's. My eyes are open. I'm staring at the ceiling, and there is an amazing download of information. You're talking about thoughts feeling different. This is not you. This is not any, you know if this is a different time of thought. This wasn't a thought. This was a downflow of literal information. I had a video playing in front of my eyes with my eyes opened. This is not a dream. This is physical, real. And the download of information showed me a, a triangular area of, of around Stonehenge in southern England. It showed me the precise points of those triangles. It showed me the position of Stonehenge in, in, on, on the vertical, the, up to the vertical component of this particular triangle, an equilateral triangle, which I'll speak to in detail. It downloaded each crop circle that had appeared in sequence, in colors for years, yellow for one year, blue for another, green for another, and it went on like this, and it slowly came to an end with an equilateral triangle infilled by if, the arrival of crop circles. And as it gave me meaning and purpose for this, it was, now this is, I find this very difficult to describe, but it was as if, as the flow of information was taking place, I was connected 100%, like the rheostat was, was turned right up for that connection with whatever that source was. And then I felt it being turned back down, the light was dimming, because the information slowly petered out. And... And as it did so, I felt a, a greater normality. I, I felt, my goodness, what's just happened? And, I, and now I can move. And I looked at Cynthia, and she is staring at the ceiling, like glazed eyes. And I knew something was happening to her. I wanted to tell her what had just happened to me, but I could see and respected the fact that she was going through something. And this went on for quite a few seconds. And then... She slowly looked at me, and she said, what just happened? And I said, tell me, Cynthia, tell me, what, what's just happened to you? She said, I've been given this triangle. It's, it's a triangle that shows me the chakra points on the body and how they, placed in a particular triangular arrangement, can provide a healing component to my work. Now, her work has been, she's a naturopathic physician, and her work is healing. It's non-traditional medicine for the body. Mine, at that time as an engineer, was looking at the earth and why these markings were apparent, where they were and what they meant and how they got there on the planet. And those being given identical information, but here was something, and I would ask, ask yourself, Mike, in the triangle that I'm looking at of yours on your website right now, I would be interested in connecting the blue balloon with the um, purple maroon balloon and taking half of that baseline and then projecting it 90 degrees right up onto the red balloon, which I believe is your home. 
the, the um, pink, the, the bright pink one is my home. Well, I think that's, are we looking yeah. at the same one? It says my cabin. Are you looking at the website or are you looking at the? I'm looking, I'm looking at my cabin, square shape of my cabin. And you have a, a pink pen, my cute house in Idaho, green pen, Byron, Wahami, uh, Wyoming, red pen, Byron, North Dakota. And the blue pen, it says, um, it was where the 200 owls were. I'd be interested to connect the the uh, purple down to the blue, take half of that baseline and project it north to your home, and then come up one-third, that's the ratio, uh, up just a little less than one-third is a very, what we were given during that that experience that night uh, was, was being given as importance important um, 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 chakra point in the, hu- in the human body. And where it is on the earth is Stonehenge. It's exactly right through the center of Stonehenge. And that was not known to us at that time. It was given. And I, yet I looked at the map. I held the largest database in the world on the subject. And I was looking at a map at every pen in southern England uh, every day of my life. And yet I had not noticed the geometry had not, was not, it, it just did not hit me between the eyes until that experience. So um, this is kind of coming probably to a conclusion, for, but the triangle and the, your experience that you've lived out, I lived out in a different way and Cynthia lived out in a different way. The geometry, I believe, is extraordinarily important. It's the same geometry of lights that are seen in UFOs that propel them through the sky, in my opinion, I think the micro-macro utilize this particular geometry in nature and in the cosmos. And it applies to salt. It applies to the living planet, the organism of the living planet. It applies to healing of the human body. And I think is the key geometry. Okay, what I will do is I will um, – I'll go through and – you know, use your your description, your verbal description, and go through and create those lines, um, which I'm interested now because that's the reason. The reason I'm asking you this is because you. Um, uh, I remember in your presentation in 2012, it ended. The culmination of the entire presentation was this giant triangle, and you got to. I mean, yeah. I, I just me sitting in the audience was just like, oh my gosh, he's talking directly to me. So um, yeah. now, so one final question before you leave: Have you had any odd owl experiences? I personally have not, and if I think of any, I will most certainly contact you. I've had many bird experiences, but not the owl. Hummingbird, uh, it does things with me. The red tail uh, hawk is certainly something that interacts, it seems, with me. Um, and to the level of me feeling quite emotional when it happens. Just yesterday, one happened. Um, I, I do get this, and, and, and just just on the app, it's not the owl that I'm referring to in this comment, but when I looked at your website, um, your follow your heart um, image, uh, that that impacted me straight away because I, I'm not even sure it's not the same photograph, but uh, where did the image itself come from? Because you know, I think I just Googled um, uh, Raven, grabbed a Raven yeah. image, and then... <laughs> it is- and then uh, put a gold background on it. I'm pretty skilled well, with that kind of with that kind of Photoshop stuff. Well, here's another parallel that you and I are, are running. I did the same for presentation Operation Blackbird, uh, two surveillance operations I've been involved in with with uh, British Army and um, and and uh, anyway, it doesn't matter who with. But in my presentation, with it, which revealed some really interesting um, conclusions, 
I did the same thing. This is some years ago. I Googled, and I'm not at all sure. I would, wouldn't mind betting I got the same raven, which has been used uh, in that presentation. It represents a lot to me. And I put a red background, and you chose a yellow. And across where you put follow your heart, I put Operation Blackbird. And it's the same thing. I mean, I, I, you know, it was striking to me. I thought, where have I seen that before? <laughs> I thought, oh, my goodness. It's exactly what I use for Operation Blackbird. See, our, our, our premise there was that um, we did two back-to-back surveillance operations, one in 89, one in 1990, one with the British Army, one was private, uh, privately funded um, with Nippon Television. And Operation White Crow was year, it's 89. Operation Blackbird was a much larger surveillance operation with the British Army. And both of them, of course, uh, refer to the crows. The idea being with White Crow was that whilst all crows are black, we were looking for one white one. We were looking for one one crop circle that uh, was not was not uh, made by people, and that was the whole the whole uh, thinking behind that. But anyway, <laughs> wow, the birds okay. mean something to us. Yes. Yeah, so you know, anyway, so I am presently working on a book on owls, uh, and how the the working title of the book is "Owls and the UFO Abductee," and um, I have stumbled on synchronistically I've, I've had my own experiences but what's happening is these things are arriving synchronistically hey this has been great i will let you go uh, it's um we've been at it for just a little over an hour and a half this has been a delight we yeah. could go on forever i know i, I know very i much enjoyed it good hey i'll let you go and thanks so much and i and i um i look forward to um to talking with you again someday well, my my pleasure, Mike. Um, yes, I, I'd very much like to meet you over a pint of beer or something. We've got a lot to uh, a lot to share. Hi, this is Mike. I'm chiming in in the the final moments here of this interview. Uh, uh, now, Colin had uh, an hour and a half that he had. Um, you know, set aside for me for this interview. Uh, we had run over that hour and a half at this point, and um, I. I guess I, f- I was a little selfish. You could hear me there, kind of like, ooh, and one more thing, ooh, and one more thing. But um, uh, I just wanted to, to – it was funny that we were sort of trying to cram a bunch of small little points, both of us had felt, uh, in these last few minutes. Anyway, uh, back to the uh, to the very last little bit of the interview. From there, and I'll also keep you updated as far as, uh, you know, when I go through that geometry that you suggested with the yes. uh, um, those lines. Yeah. Yeah, where where that points to would be very very interesting. Whether you find a, a, a Native American burial ground or or what, I don't know. I mean, not for me to say. I don't know what's there. When it, it was the first thing that struck me when I looked at it, I thought, well, here we go again. You know, <laughs> uh, here we go again. <coughs> well, you have a very good day, Mike. Okay. Um, good afternoon. Keep up your good work, my friend. This was a very different type of interview. And you pulled out some very good material there. Uh, I think this is very, very, very valuable. And I do too. And I will. Um, and I got to only about five uh, percent of the questions I wanted to ask. But I will. Um, <laughs> I will. Uh, okay. Thank okay. you so much. And I also. Oh my God! I have the funniest story to tell you that I won't go into now, involving a that mosquito. I don't, don't know if you remember that or not. So. I I read about the mosquito on your website. Oh, so about Stephen Gurr and the mosquito? Yes. Yes. I thought that was, I thought that was really. <laughs> I, I thought it was great, and the comments that you got as a result too, you know about Steve Greer, and <clears throat> we won't go there, but uh, you know he has a very mixed camp of uh, non-supporters and supporters, and I understand. I, 
you know, I, I, I don't but, know whether we got to it in our conversation. We know privately. we didn't at all. And, and, and I, uh, but in that, oh, in that privately, no, but it was very funny that the one meeting I had, like, I wasn't, like, I, I'm probably, I have very strong opinions about Stephen Greer. I won't go into it yeah. now, but, um, and yeah. mostly just the way he frames himself, not so much anything he says, but the way he frames what he says bothers me. And, uh, yeah. but, and so there I was absolutely struck mute. I mean, not even <laughs> like, like, and it, I got the, I got like a hello out of my, you know, came out and then it just, the, the volume knob was switched off and there was nothing I could do. He stepped nothing. away. And yeah. Then, I remember it. I yeah. remember it. I mean, they, they knew exactly how to close you down. You don't need to be part of this, Mike. So, uh, yeah, very, that, that struck me that I didn't, the, 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 the quirkiness of that struck me in the moment and it did, it's just as nutty now, I guess, to try to make sense of it. So, Okay, lots of questions, very few answers. Um, I'll let you go. Okay, another time. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Bye. Hi, this is Mike. I am chiming in here at the very end of the editing process. Uh, whew, that was an amazing interview. I was I was kind of, uh, my head was kind of swirling there. Now, a few things. Um, Oh, where to begin? Okay, now during the editing process, there's some things you got to do with uh, with the uh, program GarageBand, and as you do it, um, you push a little button, and stuff's got to download and transfer over. So you have to kind of wait a minute or so. So I was doing that, and I uh, uh, I have this deck, this Oracle deck of cards, uh, medicine cards about uh, power animals, and uh, it was right there next to my desk. And the the cards themselves are in a simple little box, and as I was pulling them out of the box. Uh, I thought to myself, gee, I wonder if the um if the uh if I pull a card right now, if the hummingbird card will come up. And I asked that specifically because uh, when I conf- when I asked Colin uh if he had had any owl experience, he says nobody have hummingbird experiences. So uh that was my thought. Like, gee, I wonder if that card will come up. Um I didn't get to pull a card because I opened the deck. There's some 70 odd cards in the deck. Uh pulled it out of the box and one lone card fell out of the box and landed on the floor face up and it was the hummingbird card. Okay, uh, you know, that's a small little thing, but it is the kind of, uh, you know, odd little event that uh, that forces me to pay attention. Uh, as a follow-up, I will go through and uh, follow Colin's instructions, create the map according to his... Uh, intuitive thoughts and see what comes up. We talked about that during the uh, uh, the thing where I give my long-winded explanation of the Byron, Wyoming, Byron, uh, North Dakota, giant triangle across the West. So I, I will follow up on that. Now, f- for you as the listener, I would encourage you to go to the show notes. There is going to be a long, long list of connecting uh, hyperlinks, some of them to my own site, some of them to other sites uh, like uh, Stace Tussles uh, with meeting Doug. Uh, and then if you scroll down, you will also see uh, Colin Andrews left a comment on that one specific blog post of, of Stace's. And uh, and you will see that uh, whatever he retells the story that he shared here. Very, very interesting stuff. Um, I'm also going to tack on to the very end here uh, a little bit of the dialogue that occurred right at the beginning of this conversation. 
and and that is uh, when Colin picked up the phone, and I gave a little bit of an intro as far as what my plans were, the way I wanted to uh, drive this interview, and I also got a little personal, and uh, and he tapped into it right away. So, and this is only a few minutes long, so so tacking it on to the end here, I think, is important. It's good for your human side of both of us, I think. Uh, I could go on and on and on. There's so many little odd connections that this uh, this one interview uh, uh, dredged up. Uh, or created or inspired i'm not sure i'm not sure what to say but um if you've made it this far thank you so much bye now now um and i will uh, say as much when we get rolling here but uh okay. when we spoke now that would have been in in we sat together in 2012 at the conference that was in um uh arizona arizona yeah yep I um I was in a pretty shaky headspace in the sense that you know like I had been I was trying to come to terms with my own set of experiences yeah. and yeah. Uh, and since then I feel like I've come I'm much more uh, whatever I've basically had a what I will refer to as a confirmation event uh, which I've talked about at length and written a bunch of stuff on my site. Uh, so at this point, it is no longer like it's no longer a, like a, something that I'm unsure of. I'm quite certain. That, Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, well, that's yes. progress, isn't it? That's that is personal progress, and uh, that helps us all. It is personal progress, but progress. But it it does. Um. Uh. You know what it did is it it that there was that uh, shaky kind of. Uh, insecure unknowing tape loop that kind of just spun and spun and spun in my head um and in essence what it did is it just shut that tape loop off i didn't have to go through that tape loop because it it, because i no longer had to wonder and it allowed me to proceed forward with a little more uh grounded balance let's say i'm i still whatever i'm to me this is still very much a mystery and um and that hasn't changed but uh you know the the real that the reality that there is a mystery is is uh, very much up front. So. Yeah, well, I think we're both on the same page. I mean, I I, I too. Well, we can cover it perhaps in the interview, good, but uh, good. you know because that that helps again. It helps your audience and mine too. You know, a lot of people are going through this. You know, it's just different stages depending upon personal experience. Some people don't have these experiences. Others do. And it's a pain. It pains them. It hurts them. They can't resolve this without more information. You know, so, you know, what you've been through and I've been through it too is very helpful to those people out there struggling to to, to kind of ground themselves, anchor themselves in this reality. And I have, uh, you know, my my. Uh, website and my uh, podcast series is very modest compared to some uh though uh f- my f- from the from the emails i've received from the comments i've received from the people i've talked to um i f- i feel very strongly that the folks migrating to my site are exactly the the people you just described um yeah. and and i uh have been told actually it was very interesting i was told at that conference uh, the 2012 conference by a woman um she and her husband uh, she took me aside and uh she said in no uncertain terms that that uh, uh i was giving a voice to her own uh challenges um yeah. and so uh and i you know i sit here alone i do this stuff i put it online you know i i recognized right then and there that that i have a, a responsibility to take this very seriously and and i do not uh, treat it as entertainment and it was her 
um, she, she told me a bunch of stuff and then eventually she walked away and I stood there with her husband and her husband sort of told me in no uncertain terms, like, you know, that she, uh, is depending on my, uh, voice in a way. So yeah, coming through, yeah. yeah, following through. Well, that's all good. And I, I'm sure that what we're about to undertake ourselves here will be beneficial to, to everybody. Great, great. Here, so I start the show the same way every time, and what I'll do is I'll thank you for um, for coming on the show, and then we'll just roll right into the to the interview. Okay. Reg Presley of the Trogs uh, from the Summer of Love, 1967. Now I want to play one more song, also from a UK artist, uh, but before I do, I want to read a little bit from a book. And uh, this comes from a book which I love. Uh, it's one of the better UFO books I've ever read. It's called The Alien Abduction Reference Guide by Michelle Lavinge Waddell and her husband Paul Waddell. Uh, 
This happened in 1996. Uh, this happened to Michelle herself. Now, this is a retelling of a memory she had uh, on board a craft during an abduction event. Uh, she does warn you, the reader, uh, that this very much could have been a screen memory. So not to take it too seriously. It could have been a screen memory. Just heads up. So here's what she wrote. There were several of us in a room watching a small gray ET talk. When I walked outside of this room, I seemed to be outside, but when I looked up, I could see that the sky was not real. It was like a dome high above the buildings. The sky seemed unnaturally bright and a white color. There were houses that looked like mobile homes all over the place. In the distance, there were mountains. There was little to see around me except for some mobile homes and a few small buildings. There were several women near a wooden building. They all appeared to be in their thirties. They were excited about something. I went over to see what the commotion was about. One of them told me that the singer-songwriter Peter Gabriel was in that building. I wondered if he was really there, if it was some kind of screen vision. The doors opened up, and we all ran in to see. There was a man, sitting inside, who looked very much like photos I had seen of Peter Gabriel. Someone asked him about his songwriting, and he explained that he took a lot of inspiration for the strangest of his lyrics from these encounters. I looked away through the open door and saw a contactee friend of mine, Anne, standing outside. She seemed to be lost. I knew she was a big fan of Peter Gabriel's, so I ran out to the top of the steps that lead into the building and I told her he was inside talking to people. She was very excited about the idea of seeing him and began to run. She tripped and fell on the steps. Her shin was badly hurt and she was in a lot of pain. Nevertheless, she managed to get inside and talk to the person who appeared to be Peter Gabriel. Later, before we parted, I heard her ask a gray alien if that really was Peter Gabriel or just some kind of mind trick. He told her to figure it out for herself. The next morning, I called my friend right away. The first thing I said was, how is your shin? She was more than a little surprised that I knew about her shin. She explained that although it didn't make a lot of sense, she believed she was abducted the night before and brought to talk to Peter Gabriel. But on the way, she fell down. She said she woke up with a painful and large bruise on her right shin. Oddly enough, she didn't remember seeing me there at all. on South 